Who else is starting to enjoy the Sela requests where James has to pronounce medical terminology? Isn't it fun? Yeah. <laughs> I'd struggle through it too. Um, good morning. Welcome. We are going to continue in our Genesis study, and some of you might be going, he is running out of time to complete this Genesis series, which is true, but this was all planned out. We are actually going to cover chapters 37 through 50 today. Hopefully you got the email that this is a three-hour service. If you didn't, the doors have been locked behind you. This was all planned because today is the life of Joseph. It's not that we want to quickly rush through the life of Joseph, but the life of Joseph to me was easily summarized to pull out one particular focus on who God is. Right at the beginning of Genesis, we took our time, especially through the first 11 chapters, because we really start to see who God is in the beginning of the book of Genesis. We are really shown the different names of God, and there's a lot of focus where there's rich depth into who God is. And then the rest of Genesis fleshes that out. Those truths were established, and we start to see those names of God deeper and deeper throughout people's lives in Genesis. And so that's why we might feel a little fast forward as we get to the end of this. But uh, we are going to finish through chapter 50, and then Pastor John next week is going to um, close the whole series with a wonderful topic about God being good. But today we want to focus on God being protector. God is the protector and I see that in the life of Joseph. But before we get started, I want to make sure that we all understand what that word protector means. We're going to see it deeper in a psalm a little bit later. But right off the bat, we can't think that the word protection means safety or free from all trials. We would think of it in our human terms that protection means I should be able to walk right across a busy highway without getting hit. But that's not the same protection that God provides. And we're going to see that today. So as we go through the life of Joseph, and as you are reminded of the many horrible things that happened to Joseph, don't let that influence your definition of God being the protector. And hopefully we will see why as we go through today. So you could open your Bibles to chapter 37 of Genesis, and you can be prepared to just kind of follow along as I jump throughout the life of Joseph. We're going to summarize it, and this is going to be kind of a two-part message. So you're going to be tempted in about 15 minutes to think that I'm wrapping up. I'm not, okay? We're going to go into Psalm 91, and I want to really show you God's protection. So starting to think about God's protection in the life of Joseph, we see right off the bat in chapter 37 that God protects Joseph through his brother. And you might think, yeah, but his brothers are the ones that sold him into slavery. But I'll show you why I say that. Because, yes, it is true that Joseph had a bunch of jealous brothers. They did not like him. And the reason is, is because Jacob, their father, loved him so much. Jacob chose Joseph as his favorite. And here we see yet again, 
favoritism in parenting in the Bible, right? We've seen it in the previous weeks. But Joseph at age 17 was identified as the favorite of all of the children, all of the sons. And Jacob even gave him a coat of many colors. And it was a wonderful gift. You might be thinking, I would rather have an Xbox. Well, that didn't exist. And in that culture, this colorful coat was a beautiful gift and a demonstration to Joseph that he was favored. And the brothers hated that. They hated that so much. But then to top it all off, Joseph had these dreams that he couldn't keep to himself. He had to share them with the brothers. He had these dreams that all of the brothers bowed down and they were right before him saying, you are so great. And the brothers reacted to that too and said, we really don't like Joseph. And so they decided in chapter 37, after being jealous and knowing that Joseph thought he was the greatest too, or that's how they interpreted what he said about his dream, that they wanted to kill him. And you might be saying, but you said at the beginning that protection came from his brother. You're right. Because all the brothers wanted to kill him, and they came up with this scheme. But there was one brother who said, don't kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Is that better? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you would rather die rather than be a slave. But either way, one brother said, we're not going to kill him. But we are going to trick dad into making him think that Joseph is dead. So they sold him. They took his coat. They put blood on it. And they went to Jacob. And they convinced. They tricked Jacob. Trickery runs in the family. We learned that last week. All the way through the family line, there were tricks, there were lies, there was deceit. And this is yet another one by the sons of Jacob to trick him into thinking that Joseph had died. So Reuben was the one brother who said, don't kill him. They sold him into slavery. But the thing that you have to understand here is that they all kind of had the same decision, even though some wanted to kill him and some said slavery, or one said, don't kill him, sell him into slavery. They all were saying goodbye to Joseph for the last time, or so they thought. They all were convinced, we hate him so much, we never want to see him again. Some said, kill him, it doesn't matter. One said, slavery, same result. You're never going to see him again, or so they thought. They were all saying goodbye, but that one brother, Reuben, protected him protected his life. And that was from God because it would have been equally easy to just kill him and get it done with. Reuben wasn't hanging on to some connection saying, someday we'll be reunited and everything will be wonderful. He was saying goodbye to his brother. But God had other plans. God had his protection right there and he said, no, I need Joseph to live. So it sounds like a terrible thing to be sold into slavery, and it is, but God was over all of this. You see, what happens in Scripture throughout the whole Bible, we see two different plans happening simultaneously. We see the plans of man. Man is navigating life. They're going through life, making their own decisions. They're operating how they think is best. And then we have God, who is sovereign most high over all of it. And he has a purpose and a plan in all of man's ways, and he is the one who is inserting his power and his direction through all of it. And the greatest stories in Scripture are the stories where mankind recognizes that God has this upper plan. And man grabs hold of that upper plan and starts navigating his own life according to God's plan. And so what we see here is we see that there's a glimpse into God's upper plan 
affecting the life of Reuben to say, don't kill him. Keep him alive because God needed him alive. So it is protection that we see from God because of one man saying, don't kill him. It kept Joseph alive. But then as we move into chapters 39 through 41, we see, yes, Joseph is sold and he goes into Egypt. But we see protection because Joseph had self-control. Maybe you're familiar with the story and maybe you're not, so I'm trying my best to summarize it. Joseph goes into slavery. He goes into Egypt. And he ends up in prison, mind you. Joseph goes to prison. But before that, he's sold as a slave to an Egyptian administrator named Potiphar. He becomes a faithful and highly effective servant in that household. Joseph didn't let this whole slavery thing get him down. He said, I'm still going to serve. I'm going to be the best I can be. And he got up in the ranks, and he was well-respected. But Potiphar's wife says, I'm going to try to trick him. I am going to lie. I'm going to make up stories that Joseph made advances at me. He tried to seduce me. He tried all of these things towards me. And she announced it to everyone. Joseph had so much self-control that many times that this happened, he not only said no and pushed her away, but he even fleed one time. He said, I am out of here. I'm getting away from this temptation. But he left his shirt behind. It was torn, which was later used as evidence that he did something wrong, which he didn't. But it was his self-control. And you might think, wait a minute. He had self-control and he wasn't protected they arrested him. They threw him into prison. How is that protection? Think big picture. What's the upper story of God? Our holiness. Joseph didn't sin. He was protected. His self-control protected him from falling into sin. And sometimes when you taste sin, all you do is want more and more. Joseph didn't have that. He said no to the sin that was staring at him. He resisted and his self-control protected him, but it ended up getting him into prison. He was falsely accused of assaulting her. So Joseph now is in prison. And I hope you're thinking, this does not sound like a sermon about protection. He's a slave because his brothers hate him. He's in prison now. How does this make sense? But what happens to Joseph in prison is he is such a man of good reputation that that reputation grows. People start to see, man, this guy is, he's highly favored. He's trustworthy. And so he's trusted by the jailer, and he's actually put in charge of the prison. And then while he's in prison, he helps people, and he interprets dreams for people, and they are the right interpretation. And so people start looking at Joseph going, you know, this guy was a slave and now he's in prison. How valuable can he be? No, they start going, wow, this Joseph guy, I like him. He's doing right. And he helps people and he becomes in charge of the prison. If you were to read chapter 39, you would see a statement that appears twice, but an idea that happens throughout the life of Joseph. And that statement is, the Lord was with Joseph. You can see it in verse 2 of chapter 39 where it says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. You can see that same phrase in, chapter, or in verse 21 of chapter 39 when it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
The Lord was with him. Joseph trusted that the Lord was with him. And all of these negative things that we would say, all oh, these are horrible. God was using and protecting Joseph and working out his upper plan that he has in the life of Joseph to bring the Lord glory. All of these things, while we may say, I never want any part of that story, God is saying, but that's exactly what I need to accomplish my plan. So we see protection from God. If you were to go to chapter 41, you would see that God's protection comes through Joseph's interpretation of the dreams and his honesty about the dreams. So his reputation had become so big that at one point, Pharaoh had dreams. And he couldn't figure out what they meant. Well, here comes this guy who has a reputation. And one of Pharaoh's people said, you know, I had a dream interpreted by some Hebrew guy in jail one time. I think that we should call him. So they summon Joseph to come to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dreams. And Joseph accurately and honestly, even though it's not great news, he honestly tells the truth, and he is protected. The two dreams were that Egypt will have seven years of bountiful harvests, and the second dream was that Egypt will have seven years of famine. So what ends up happening is that Pharaoh is so pleased at the fact that Joseph can actually know what he's talking about with these dreams, that Joseph yet again gets promoted. He actually becomes this deputy pharaoh in Egypt. And he is considered second in charge of all of Egypt. This is Joseph, this guy that his brothers wanted to kill. They sold him into slavery. He got thrown in jail because of false accusations. But yet now, he's suddenly, basically, second in command of all of Egypt. And I want you to recognize God's protection. Because Joseph was now in a position to do something that anyone else in that position was not going to do. We're going to see that. But this idea of interpreting dreams is so difficult. Pharaoh had all of these people that were sorcerers and magicians and wise men that couldn't figure this out. Because dreams are weird, aren't they? Dreams are so strange. Has anyone in here ever had a really strange dream before and you wake up going, what? Has anyone ever woken up and said, uh, is there some guy named Joseph around here that can tell me what that means? No, I hope not. But dreams are very strange. In fact, there was a guy one time, he was a doctor, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he was very interested in the use of ether. He was so interested, in fact, that he administered ether to himself to see what would happen. And right before he was left unconscious, or whatever you want to call it, um, this profound statement came to him. And it was so profound that he thought this was suddenly the key to all the mysteries of the whole universe. But of course, when he woke up, he couldn't remember what it was. How disappointing, right? Well, he wasn't going to be stopped. So he yet again said, I'm going to administer ether to myself. But this time, I'm going to have a stenographer there. And they are going to write down this profound wisdom that will solve all the mysteries of the universe. And lo and behold, right before he was left unconscious, this statement came back to him. 
He was so excited, he shouted it out, and he went under. He came back up, and he looked at the stenographer, and he said, what is the key to all the mysteries in the whole universe? And this is what he had said. The entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. (laughs) It didn't make any sense. Dreams can sometimes make no sense, but Joseph had the key. Joseph knew what the answer was. It was a warning to Pharaoh. You need to prepare. You need to plan. Don't be so caught up in all of the abundance that you forget that coming next could be hardship. And Joseph provides wisdom and clarity. And now he is second in charge of all of Egypt. So we see his protection because he trusted the Lord for those visions to be real or those, uh, those interpretations to be accurate. He was honest to Pharaoh, and we saw God's protection. But then as we continue into verse, or chapter 42 and following, we see that God has protection for Joseph's brothers because of Joseph's forgiveness. You see, there's a famine that's ha- happening throughout all of the land. And the family needs to figure out how we are going to have food. And so all the brothers go to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph is in charge. They don't know that they are walking into, 20 years later, the very court of Joseph who is administrating food and distribution of wealth and all of these things. They have no clue. And they go before him, and what happens? Joseph's dream comes true. They bow down before him. Now, that's not like Joseph's dream, like, I can't wait to have my brothers bow before me. This was Joseph's actual dream that he spoke earlier. It came true. They bow before him, but they don't know it's Joseph. Joseph is in a position now at age 39 to look at his brothers and say, you fools, do you know who I am? I'm the guy that you wanted dead. I'm the guy that you pretended was dead. You sold me into slavery. You lied to our father. How dare you come before me and ask for food? Joseph doesn't do that. Because Joseph was so caught in the understanding of God having a plan throughout all of it that Joseph doesn't seek revenge. He forgives his brothers. I want to read to you Genesis 45, if you want to turn there. This jumped out at me because it shows that Joseph was not worried about revenge. He wasn't worried about getting even with his brothers. He was captivated by the plan of God. And he saw God's protection throughout all of these horrible circumstances to put him into a place right now where he could actually help his family, not hurt his family. He wasn't going to repay evil for evil because he knew that God was in charge of all of it. Genesis 45, verses 3 through 8. Joseph said this to his brothers. I am Joseph. He's identifying himself to them. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were confused. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of this house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Joseph saw in the midst of all of the junk that was happening, and he maybe even had moved on, but now staring at him were the very people that sold him and wanted him dead. And he says, it wasn't you who sold me. It was God's plan that I was right here because now I am in a position to help you. And he uses his position to protect his family. So we see God's protection comes through Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers. You might wonder why this whole idea of protection is so important. It's because we can get so bogged down in the circumstances of life like Joseph could have that we forget to remember that God is in charge, that God cares for us and he loves us. You see, the whole purpose of what was happening here in Egypt and the whole purpose of Israel going to Egypt for 400 years and it resulting in slavery, it was part of God's big plan. And you might go, that is a twisted God then who would send people into these scenarios. Let me tell you something. I want you to look in chapter 46, verses 2 through 5. You might think in the past through our studying that we've seen Abraham disobey. We've seen different pillars of the faith not follow the instruction of the Lord. But this was different. Israel going to Egypt was different. Chapter 46, verses 2 through 5. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you close, I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God told them to go to Egypt. God said, I'm going to be with you. I am going to bring you back out of Egypt. Little did they know it would result in 400 years of slavery. And you might think, how is that protection? How is that a good thing? There were two results that I want you to think about as to why God used that time or how God used that time in Egypt. He said he was going to make them a great nation. They came out of Egypt at the end of slavery with so many possessions. It tells us that Israel actually was able to plunder Egypt and take with them countless possessions. God made them a great nation even though they had to endure this horrible hardship of slavery. God had this time period in mind of what to accomplish. God was working on the hearts of everyone in that area. He was driving sinners out of the promised land and when the, when the Israelites came back to the promised land, All of that was empty, and it was just a land for the Israelites, for God's people. He was using that time to preserve Israel and grow them. God chose that time period. 
He chose that plan to glorify himself. And while we may not look at it as protection, that's exactly what God was doing. He was protecting Joseph and his family. He was protecting his nation, Israel. You see, Joseph did protect his family through a famine. We saw that through, sa- through that slavery, Moses eventually rose to power and leadership. We saw that God performed miracles. We did not see an absent God. We saw a very present God who was using those circumstances to grow his people. God protects. Joseph had 21 years of a very hard life, but he had 71 years of a blessed life. God took every single thing that happened to Joseph. It was part of his upper plan. And he said, I'm going to protect you and preserve you so that you will be in every position I need you to be in for the next step to take place. And you might be sitting here going, I've been through a lot of junk in my life. I got a lot of stuff going on and I don't see how this is part of God's big plan. But it is. It certainly is. If you can read in scripture that Joseph had all of these things happen to him, but yet his eyes continued to be on the guidance of the Lord, his eyes continued to be on the the power that God has to reach into those evil situations and make it good, then no matter what you're going through, he can and will do the same. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a plan. And no matter what we would call evil or distasteful or unpleasant, God is saying, I'm using those things to equip you, to grow you, and I am the one who is making all these things good. In Joseph's life, we saw that protection through the terrible things. Next week, Pastor John's going to focus on one verse in chapter 50 of Genesis. It's the verse as, For you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. There was evil done to Joseph. Evil things from his brother. Evil things from Potiphar's wife. They were intended to be hurtful. Staring at someone in the face and intending to be hurtful to them is a horrible thing. And God says at the end of Genesis, I'm using that evil. I'm going to make it good. And I want to read to you Psalm 91 because I was captivated midweek by this psalm and I thought, I know this is about Genesis, but I have to read this psalm to you paints a beautiful picture of the truth that God is our refuge and he is our fortress. And I want to read the whole thing. It's 16 verses. I'm going to quickly go through three very serious points of what God protects. If you're able to stand while we read Psalm 91, that would be wonderful. If you are not able to stand, I trust that your hearts are bowing before the Lord as we read his word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler 
And from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You may be seated. If you're still confused at how God protects people, but there's so many horrible things and circumstances that happen, I understand that because it'd be really easy to grab hold of this idea of God's protection and apply that idea to our lives and then expect peaceful life, easy sailing, right? But clearly we see in the life of Joseph that that's not the case. And so we need to understand better what that word protect means. Psalm 91 verse 14 says, I will protect him. That word protect actually means to be inaccessible, exalted, unattainable, and elevated. So when God himself says, I will protect you, there is no power, there is no person, there is no circumstance that is greater than the most high sovereign God. There is nothing that can take that protection away. That word literally means inaccessible and unattainable. Nobody can take you away from God's protection. No thing can take you from God's protection. Joseph trusted that. And all of the evil things intended for Joseph, God used for good. There's three things that God protects. He protects his plan and his purpose. That idea of the purpose of something can be really confusing. We might wonder what the purpose of our life is, you might wonder what the purpose of other things that you find in life are. And the intention of something can be lost on us if we don't understand. For example, there was a rich man who was determined to give his mother the greatest birthday present that would outshine all others that he and anyone else has ever given her. And he was reading about this bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak numerous language, and could sing three different operas. So he immediately bought this bird for $50,000 and he had it sent to his mom. He was so excited. The next day he called his mom and he said, mom, did you get my present? What did you think of the bird? And she said, oh, it was delicious. She didn't understand what the purpose was or the intent was, even though he gave it with a certain intent. And we can think that about our life circumstances too. We might look at something and say, I don't know the purpose and I don't know the intent, but God in his upper plan is saying, I do. 
I know exactly why I have you right here. You have to trust me because I have a plan and I have a purpose and I will always protect that so it is always accomplished. We have to trust that. Psalm 91.11 even says that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. God has a plan and he's going to make it happen. Nothing can snatch that plan away from him. Nothing can divert it a different direction. God is most high and sovereign and Joseph trusted that. We need to trust that. This does not mean that bad things are actually good things in disguise. This is what J.D. Greer says. It means that God takes genuinely bad things and brings his power to bear in them so that we will be better off. That means more like Christ for them having happened. And in the times where people aren't walking in the ways of the Lord, God still uses what was meant for evil for his good. So no matter what you experience, even clear intended evil that is directed towards you like Joseph experienced, we need to trust that God has a purpose and a plan in all of it. And none of those things overwhelm him or overpower him. Greer continues and he says, God uses the pain to grow us in our knowledge of himself. So any harm that comes to you that increases your relationship with God is not really harm. It's helpful. So he always protects his plan and his purpose. But we also see that God always protects his children. Did you catch these verses from Psalm 91? He will deliver you from the snare. He will cover you. You will find refuge under his wings. His faithfulness is a shield. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It's not going to come near you because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil is going to come and befall you. No plague will come near you. He's going to command his angels to guard you in all your ways. Do you recognize that last part? Satan used that in his temptation of Jesus. He twisted it and tried to use scripture against Jesus. But the point here is that God always protects his children and nothing can take you out of that protection. So I don't want you to think that all you have to do is trust God and your life will be easy. But trust in God and he will protect his plan and purpose and you as his child for all, all eternity. Once you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Savior, you are forever protected and nothing will ever change the status of your standing with God or the status of your eternity. And at the end of Psalm 91, those verses 14, 15, and 60, this is God's statement. He speaks, Because he holds to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. You are his child. When he calls me, I'm going to answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's God's promise to protect his children. God is not talking about adding pain-free years to our lives. But what he is talking about is adding despair-free life to your years of living. That is God's promise to protect his children. And the third thing that God protects is eternity. Our eternity as a child of God is set. And he protects that. He did that with salvation through Jesus Christ. 
We saw earlier that God's power works through evil, the things that were intended for evil, and then we are better off because of them. What an amazing example of what's something that was intended for evil. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, man intended that for evil. And God, more powerful than any of man's intentions or evil deeds, says I'm working through that to provide the greatest gift I could ever give mankind, salvation. What an incredible gift that God used for good. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have assurance not only that the pain in your life can be used for good, but that your salvation is official, it's eternal, it's forever. Nothing changes it. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that Psalm 91 is going to be true in eternity and that truth should redefine how we view life right now in trials on this earth. We can declare right now that we are protected even in the midst of horrible circumstances. Missionary Jim Elliott, who was one of five young missionaries who was slain on the beaches of Ecuador in the 1950s, he had a journal that his wife later published. It's called Shadow of the Almighty, which comes from Psalm 91, that title. Jim is quoted in that book as saying this, I am immortal until my work on earth is done. Because he understood and he recognized that it was God who was in charge. He wasn't looking at it as a flippant thing where he could jump off of a, of a skyscraper and just say, God's got me. That's twisting scripture. But what he did understand is that God protects you for every purpose that he has planned for you. And you are immortal until your purpose is done. And when your body gives up, you are with him for eternity. Nothing takes that away. The same is true for you. You are immortal until your work on earth is done. There may be painful chapters along the way, but if you hold on, you'll see that God was working it all together for his good, just like he said. So we see his protection of eternity with salvation through Jesus, but then finally, because he seals us with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God is so serious about being your protector that he sent his son to die for you so you could have eternal life. He raised him up from the dead, securing that eternal life and victory over death. And then he sent his spirit to live inside of you, sealing you, guaranteeing that there is no power, there is no action, there is no influence that can snatch you from God's hand. He is our fortress. He is our protection. He is our portion and our hiding place. And that is the God that we get to serve. That is the God that we get to worship. And so you may read the story of Joseph and say, that doesn't look like protection. God is so much bigger than just protecting the little circumstances of our lives. He protects our eternity and he secures it with the death of his son, the resurrection of Jesus, and the sealing of you with his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now for the protection of our 
traveling minds. Satan wants us to think that your protection means that we will have an easy life. Satan wants us to believe the lie that when something bad happens in life, that you are an absent God. But the story of Joseph shows us you are so much bigger, God. You are almighty. You are powerful. You are working all of these things together even though we don't have all of the answers. We know the God who does. We know the God who does all of the work, who has all of the details. And so today, we come before you and we trust you. We trust that your ways are perfect. We trust that you are the protector. We trust that through every battle, through every heartbreak, and through every circumstance, you are God and you are protecting us. Amen.